what my purpose here on earth was always kind of a big question mark. Even though I was doing things, I was in the military, I had these jobs and I was good at them, right? And I was successful to a degree. It always felt like there was something missing. You wanna feel congruent about what you're doing and how you feel about what you're doing. And if you can find congruence and alignment, that means I think you're living kind of your life's purpose and path. I think it was only until I really encountered a lot of these like uh, challenges that I described, you know, with my marriage falling apart, pandemic, and this whole desire to figure out who I was as introspection, you know, that the faith really emerged. And it's been like an essential part. And I think that's the beauty thing. If you can figure out how to walk your path, your real path, it's going to take some trial and error. But if you walk your path, you're kind of walking God's path at the same time. Welcome to ChatGPC. I'm excited to share this conversation with GPC member Phil Linder. He's walked a uniquely interesting path searching for meaning, first as a military helicopter pilot, then on Capitol Hill, then the corporate world. But over the past few years, he's devoted his life to creative pursuits and become a painter. Maybe you don't dream of giving it all up to become a visual artist as Phil has, but his journey has lessons all of us can relate to. I enjoyed getting to know Phil, and I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Thank you for listening to ChatGPC. I don't know you as well as I would like to, and when Camille yeah. was telling me a little bit about your your story, the transition that's happened in your life, yeah. it really sparked in me an interest to, to get to know you, and I suspect a lot of people would like to know that too. So tell tell us about yourself. and Yeah, yeah, you know, I... Um the last five years have been like a complete um, change in my life. Um, I was I was I was talking to uh, one of the new members today, um, and I was I told him I was an artist. I'm a painter, yeah. and um, I told him that if if I went back in time five years ago and I, I told my you know my 30 year old self you know I'm I'm a painter I'm an artist with a studio and I'm selling paintings he would he wouldn't he'd be so confused he would be like what he wouldn't know where it, it came from the journey that i i've been on has been um unexpected so I, I i didn't grow up as a creative kid you know kind of the opposite i was a uh, kind of like a jock you know i was really into sports and soccer mm-hmm. uh so we, we we grew up in kind of the suburban area maybe 90 minutes north in new york city so a far far distant suburb of new york mm-hmm. i ended up going to the military so I got into West Point and ended up going into the military and it was a helicopter pilot. As a kid, I always wanted to do something, have a big life. I was, I was kind of an ambitious kid. I was one of those like, you know, nerdy kids, like laying in your bed as a, as a high school sophomore or thinking about being president of the United States or mm. doing something ambitious and bold, right? It's funny when you look back on like your life, a lot of the experiences you have are formed as thoughts, you know, as a kid. And it's just a a process of falling out, you know, those dreams. But what was interesting for me was like my life took a certain path to fulfill a dream that I had. But then I realized as I was pursuing it, that the dream was kind of hollow. Hmm. And that brought me to DC, serving the army, going to grad school in DC, had a brief internship on the Hill, you know, right at grad school here. And I remember I was walking around Capitol Hill one day and I was just like looking at all the people in the suits and I don't know, I just had a feeling that something was off. It's like an intuition, instinct feeling Mm -hmm. that for whatever reason, this work, this life didn't really mean anything to me. And I needed to figure out who the hell I actually was, you know? 
And I grew up with like a family where parents are very well educated, career corporate people pushed me and my brothers into, you know, excelling and, um, you know, having a, a good career. And they were great in that way. But I observed my father have this business career that I think he wasn't really well suited for. Mm. When you think about it, he was somewhat successful, but it was like watching a person living someone else's life Mm. in a lot of ways. Watching your dad. Yeah. So he had this corporate career and he was in marketing and he worked for a variety of different corporations. But I always observed this like something was kind of off. He like, I didn't make him very happy. He's very smart and very hardworking, but the job and the career and the day-to-day wasn't a good reflection of kind of who he was as a person. Mm. He got this big job. He, he, got, he got hired to be the CMO of uh, Valvoline Oil. We, as a family, moved from Connecticut to Kentucky where um, Valvoline was headquartered. And we're like this northern, northern family moving to Kentucky, not knowing anybody. So it was a big transition for our family. It was all hinging on this this job right this opportunity for my father long story short he was in that job for maybe two years and he got fired when you're at the top of these corporations either you perform and make money for the company or you don't and so it's it's very rough and tumble it it like really crushed him Mm -hmm. and it it was like it reminded me of this quote of um um just because you do something that you don't want to doesn't mean you can't fail at it which that, is the worst of both worlds. Like you don't enjoy it and you fail at it. Yeah. And that's what kills you, you know, yeah. ultimately. It, it almost killed my father. Um, mm. I'm not joking when I say that. Um, he recovered from it, thank God. But And then so, you moved, he moved the family back to Connecticut at that no, point? No, no. We, we stayed in Kentucky. Yeah. And my okay. mom had to start working again. And um, it, was a, it was a tough period, I think, for our family. Yeah. Um, but it was a big lesson for me. And so I, the reason I say that is that I, I had this this story always kind of running around in the back of my mind. I really need to figure out what the hell I was meant to do on this earth. Yeah. So there's some people where they, they grow up and they just know from like birth, they're meant to be this, you know? Mm-hmm. And you hear those stories, they're usually like very huge success stories. Mm-hmm. I never really had that. I always had like a, a big diversity of interests and skills. Mm-hmm. I was good at a lot of things. I wasn't, I was never obsessed with one thing. Mm-hmm what I was supposed to do and, and what my purpose here on earth was always kind of a big question mark, like well into my, throughout all my twenties, you know, even though I was doing things, I was in the military, I had these jobs and I was good at them. Right. And I was successful to a degree, but like there was always a, it always felt like there was something missing. Hmm. There was always something on the horizon I had to figure out. And for a long time, I thought it was just the pursuit of ambition. Right going to DC and running for office or something. He said, I pursued that for a while, but when I actually got in it, I realized that the feeling wasn't there. I didn't feel congruent. Mm. You know, you always want to like in life, you want to feel congruent about what you're doing and how you feel about what you're doing. And if you can find congruence and alignment, that means I think you're living kind of your life's purpose and path. It brings me to the part of the story where things got interesting for me. So I'm 30 years old. I had this internship. I realized that politics are not for me, so I just go out and try to find a job. I, I met this guy that started this tech company. This was like seven years ago. And he was a former military guy like me, and we just really clicked, And he, so he hired me. At the same time, I was uh, dating this woman, we got engaged. 
So we get married um, here in D.C., and the relationship was okay, but it definitely had its faults. And it was mostly because I don't think, looking back on it, like I was kind of one foot in, one foot out mm. emotionally. Mm-hmm. And then all hell broke loose. The, the pandemic started, and my relationship just, like, blew up in my face. Wow. And so, yeah, we, you know, we were, we were married for maybe a year and a half, mm-hmm. very short. So we ended up separated and then getting divorced. All the while, the pandemic is happening at the same time. I mean, yeah. everything is being thrown off kilter. And uh, this, at the same time, this is where I start feeling this creative urge. I want to create something, you know? I don't know what, but I just want to create something. And so I started, like, doing collage and photographs, art journaling, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what I was doing. I just did it for myself. I didn't share it with anybody. But it got more and more like it was like this tidal wave of like, I need to do this. I need to do this. Mm-hmm. It was like it was unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. I've never had something where it was I had such a calling, an overwhelming emotional calling. And it might have been in response of like a the the pain of of my marriage breaking up. It might have been in response to the pandemic. But I think it was very much related to a desire for me to figure out who I was and what I was meant to do on this earth. And so I almost had to consciously engage in this self-discovery, right? And I think what kind of came out of it was this desire to create and, and be creative and eventually made my way to painting. And once I started painting, I just like became obsessed with it. And you, you didn't have any, you didn't grow up painting or? No, not really. I did a little sketching. Yeah. Yeah, but nothing, yeah. Like frankly, my brother was, was the more, I have two brothers, but my middle brother was the more artistic one. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it was very surprising to myself. It was also surprising to like people in my life, my friends and family. They sure. were like, where the hell did this come from? You're yeah. still working for the startup. Still, Yeah, so my day job is still a startup. And I'm recently single now, so it's like right. I move into a studio apartment. And you got time on your hands. Yeah, I got time. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, as an artist, you need time, especially if you got a day job. Sure. You, know, you can only do so much. Um, so yeah, so I just start painting and got painting in my like I literally live in a studio apartment in Woodley Park across from the zoo and uh, had a little nook like the size of this area 50 mm-hmm. you know 25 square feet where I set up a little in it, my easel and mm-hmm. it was very messy living and working in the same place but I just you know that's what I did for like a year and I didn't show anyone any work because mm-hmm. it's like it's hard to put yourself out there in that way for sure you know, and art is like anything, any creative act, any, if you're an artist, if you're creating something, art is, is, it's you putting yourself as an individual, as a human being out to the world and that person, and then the world judging it. And it's being judged on multiple levels, being judged on your skill, your technical skill of whatever you're doing, whether you're a musician or you're a painter or writer, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's being judged on the, the quality of the content whether you have something to say, you know, the narrative of your work, right? But all kind of wraps up in the life of the artist. Yeah. So when I first started painting, I was like, I wasn't confident enough to like show anyone that work. But people like knew I was doing it and then like eventually I got to the point where I started sharing some of the work to like close friends, you know, and like my family. The coolest thing was like people were so encouraging. I don't think the work was very good back then. 
right? Because it's just me trying to figure this out. I'm self-taught, you know, mm -hmm. I'm taking painting courses and, you know, watching YouTube videos and learning and just experimenting. But people, regardless, were just so encouraging, which mm -hmm. was like so cool. Like just, and then people are just like into this because I was into it. And that was a new experience for me. All the encouragement I ever received in life up until that point was like me pursuing something that was like valued by society. Yeah. Right. Like going, like getting into West Point, for example. I get it. Like it is a good thing, right? You want to be encouraging for people to follow that path, but it's a different type of encouragement. You know, I just kept painting and kept painting and eventually found a studio um, here in Georgetown through a, a mutual friend who had a studio at the time and there was a vacancy. And, um, yeah, and now my life is just completely different. Like I, I'm a painter. Like I, that's like you know, what did, I do. Did you quit your your other job? So yeah, I, I quit my other job after six years uh, last January. I still have a day job. It's kind of like a part time day job just to pay the bills. So yeah. I'm not I'm not at the point where I can fully support myself with painting alone. But I will get to that point eventually. Hmm. And I also realize I'm starting late. You know, I'm 35, so. I have some, some catch up to do. It takes years to get established as an artist, like anything, you yeah. know. I think it'll take me five another five years to be fully established. Yeah. Uh, that's my life and um it's it's such a blessing. It's like one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. It's also really hard and lonely too. Mm -hmm. Because like I'm doing this thing that's like going against the grain of like, you know, what most people do, I think. And the art scene in DC is actually very vibrant yeah. it's a little disjointed there's a lot going on here a lot for sure a lot more than most people realize and the institutions are world-class you know like yeah. world-class museums yeah. a lot of people that want to buy art yeah a lot of people that want to go to concerts I, I can relate to much of what you're talking about from from different perspectives but what one thing to, to follow on what you were saying is that I think looking around and you probably discovered this as well there's a lot of broken dreams being I mean, permanently broken, meaning cho by choice, you know, people who have walked away from things they would maybe rather do mm -hmm. in favor of things that they feel like they should do for one mm -hmm. reason or another, whether mm -hmm. it's money or whether it's family pressure or yeah. societal pressure, whatever it is. And so I think when you meeting someone like yourself can be a real encouragement for people who who are who have been maybe on the fence themselves yeah. for, for a long time. Pursuing a life where you always felt like you could do something else, I think is really tough. Like it's a, that's a tough burden to live with like the rest of your life. Oh, I'm curious, given your father's history in the corporate world, essentially failing at something that he didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing also that at a certain point, your, your family was very proud of you. I mean, West Point, helicopter pilot. Mm -hmm. Political than corporate, yeah, yeah, ladder, right? Yeah, it's presumably now you're saying that they're that they're happy for you, but there must have been there must have been an adjustment period as as you emerged. I mean, how did that go? I'm, I'm still in it with them. Yeah, they're I'm very close to my parents and my, um, and they're they are supportive. But I do think I was talking to my mom the other day because I'm I'm on a consulting project that's ending at the end of the year and I got to find a new gig, right? So I'm talking about opportunities and stuff and. I could tell if she's there's there's an element. I think like any parents, they just want like their kids to be like safe and like secure, yeah. and so they're going to be like inherently just more conservative in their advice. Mm -hmm. I think there comes a point in life you have to realize that your parents can only help you in so many ways. For sure, <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of on you. Yeah, and if you 
if you need to go down a different path, sometimes they're going to understand and be supportive and be even helpful, but other times they won't. Mm. And I've, I've seen people that, that choose things where they get ostracized from their, sometimes you don't get the support and love of the people that are closest from you. And that's a tragedy, but that's a, that's an element of sacrifice that sometimes you have to make, you know, it requires guts. Yeah. 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 You can use it as fuel. Yeah, for sure. What, what, how's your faith played in, in, in this journey? So I stopped going to church after I, I was in the military. Pretty much stopped going to church um, after college. And yeah, there's like a whole a big like kind of 10-year gap. I think it was only until I really encountered a lot of these like uh, challenges that I described, you know, with my marriage falling apart, pandemic, sure. and this whole desire to figure out who I was, this introspection, you know, that the faith really emerged. And it's been like a essential part. You know, um, developing faith is like, I feel like you kind of have to go through hell before you can get to heaven, Hmm. like actual faith. Like there's some people like, oh, I have faith. Things will work out. But do you really feel that? Like, you know, my, my, my future is not like assured, but I do feel okay. And I think that's the beauty thing. If you can figure out how to walk your path, your real path. It's going to take some trial and error and you, you might try two or three professions that don't work out. Right. Or you might get lucky and just f- find out immediately. But if you walk your path, you're kind of walking God's path at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy though. Like it doesn't mean that it's going to, and, it, and you're necessarily going to be successful, you know, but the feeling is good. You know, the feeling is like, I'm doing this, this, this is right. I don't know why it's right, but it is. When you're on that path, you can feel yeah. you can feel it. Yeah, I think that's God's presence in your life. At least for me, I can only speak for myself. Um, you know, um, I mean, not to overuse these these Bach references, but at the top of his score, uh, when the play when the page was blank, because mm-hmm. as you know, blank canvas, blank page, mm-hmm. those can be difficult moments. It's the starting of something. It's the and he would write um, Jesu Juva, which is Jesus help me. Oh, wow. And then at the end, he would write Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone the glory. Wow. Yeah. So it's this, it's kind of this, this bookending, right? Of, and I don't think for him, because he was approaching art and music in a different way than, say, the Romantics did, which is this, this is in the Romantic period, it's, I mean, maybe it's similar in art. In fact, I think it is in the visual arts. It's more in the Romantic period, like, I'm going to put a piece of myself on this page. And therefore, as you described, like there's, there can be a more of a fearful element and more difficult to start because like, what part of myself do I put down? How much am I willing to risk exposure? Mm. Those kinds of thoughts come into the, into the yeah. picture. Whereas in the Baroque period, at least for Bach, it was more of, I think of it similar to a, a carpenter, a craftsman, mm. like somebody needs a chair. Yep. Well, a chair has four legs. Yep. It's got to stand. It's got to. It's got to be a certain height. Mm-hmm. It, you ha, it has to be able to bear weight. Mm-hmm. And so, the music of that time period, not to say that it wasn't artistic, it certainly was, huh. but there was a, an element of craft to it that yeah. you could jump in into it. As um, long as you master it, you can. Yeah. Sell. Yeah. As a master of the craft, then you know you're making something that's practical and that needs to be done. And then mm. the beauty comes from the mastery of that mm-hmm. of that particular craft yeah. and that genre. Yeah. And so in, on some level, there isn't as much of like writer's block, I think, that he was facing. But it's more mm-hmm. it's more like wants wants to be accompanied. Like you were saying, if you're on that path, you feel the presence of God. You want that accompaniment because that that gives you 
not a smoothness necessarily, but at least it gives you companionship along the way, you know? Because it's, yeah, lo- it's lonely. Our art is lonely. It is. It is. And it requires a lot of, I mean, a lot of art is, um, yeah, it's just time with yourself and yeah. working. And, yeah. Yeah, you inspire me. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you. Yeah. No, thanks for putting this together. Yeah.